0: Evaluation and Treatment of Septic Shock by Dr. Anthony Olivero.
1: Hi, my name is Tony Olivero. I'm a pediatric critical care attending here at Boston Children's Hospital. Today I'll be speaking about pediatric septic shock, specifically the evaluation and treatment.
0: Introduction.
1: In general, the principles are aimed at restoring normal physiologic conditions. can be applied to other types of shock outside of septic shock, including cardiogenic, hypovolemic, and others as well. Many of the following recommendations have been taken from the American College of Critical Care Medicine's 2007 update on the management of pediatric septic shock with modifications based on current clinical practice.
0: Signs and symptoms of septic shock.
1: The diagnosis of pediatric septic shock is based on clinical parameters, not specifically lab-based parameters, as sometimes in adult medicine. Clinical abnormalities include decreased or altered mental status, prolonged cap refill more than two seconds, or flash cap refill, diminished pulses or bounding peripheral pulses, discrepancy between central and distal pulses, widened pulse pressure, and a decreased urine output are typical and sometimes early signs of shock.
0: Management goals.
1: So what are the goals in the management of septic shock? Well, the most important things are early recognition and treatment, again, based on the clinical exam. There's a 1.4-fold increase in mortality for each hour that goes by without proper treatment of septic shock and adherence to current guidelines. We recommend, and there are current goals to recommend, serial exams to monitor for the response to therapies, and you want to make sure to consider the patient's current clinical status as well as trajectory to anticipate the needs of the patient as well as anticipate uh, needed therapies, and we'll talk a bit more about that when we get to the algorithm. Physiologically, we're looking to maintain perfusion pressures to organ beds so that the metabolic demand never exceeds the delivery. For example, the kidney is a very perfusion-sensitive organ and is able to auto-regulate within a wide range of blood pressures. But once the blood pressure is inadequate to meet the metabolic demands of the kidney, the urine output typically falls, which is why urine output is a useful marker in the management of septic shock.
0: Management and treatment.
1: As far as treatments for septic shock, this algorithm that we'll refer to Uh, The first five minutes are based on the PALS algorithm. So again, you're doing the very basics of evaluating mental status and perfusion. So you're looking to see how a patient interacts with their environment, with their family, if they're agitated, if they seem to be protecting their airway. And if at any point you feel that they're not appropriate or they need their airway secured, then you move on to secure their airway with endotracheal intubation. Additionally, in the first five minutes, typically in the emergency department, but these patients may be anywhere on the general floors or the critical care units. We want to establish quick IV access, and if that's not easily obtained, then IO access is recommended. You want to be able to obtain labs quickly and send cultures off to be able to order antibiotics as well. The goal of antibiotics is to be delivered within the first hour of recognition of septic shock. Once those labs return, you're looking to correct any electrolyte abnormalities, which will optimize the cardiac and vascular function. Within the first 15 minutes, the goal of pediatric septic shock is to maintain and restore intravascular blood volume. This is typically done with aliquots of 20 mLs per kilo of normal saline, given as a IV push, and repeated as needed to, again, maintain Uh, and restore the intravascular blood volume. This is where the key of serial exams are critical in evaluating a patient's response to your therapies. As we move down the algorithm, within the first 60 minutes, you're continuing to fluid resuscitate a patient with ongoing goals of euvolemia. Septic shock uh, children often require 40 to 60 mLs per kilo which is roughly about two thirds of their intravascular volume. Sometimes kids over the first 24 hours may require 100 to 200 mLs per kilo. But again, the goal of the fluid resuscitation is to normalize intravascular volume. Again, you're doing serial exams and monitoring for response to your therapies. During the fluid resuscitation, you're also looking for any signs of cardiac dysfunction or failure, including respiratory distress, crackles on exam, or hepatomegaly which, again, may suggest that an ionotrope is needed to support the heart. As we talked about before, it's important to consider the patient's mental status and ability to protect their airway. And we would consider securing the patient's airway with an endotracheal tube if there's altered mental status or severe respiratory distress. We know from adult and pediatric literature that up to 40% of the cardiac output in septic shock can go towards the work of breathing, so sometimes a patient is intubated during septic shock to decrease the oxygen consumption and the work of breathing. Once you're at a position in the algorithm where the patient is fluid refractory shock, then you always want to start thinking one to two steps beyond where you're at at the algorithm and anticipate the needs of the patient. So you would consider placement of a central venous line and placement of an arterial line. And that venous line, as we'll see in the algorithm, helps to make sure that you're able to securely deliver vasoactive medications, monitor central venous pressures, monitor mixed venous sats if the tip of the catheter is near the right atrium. The placement of an arterial line is critical when a patient's unstable and you're not able to obtain reliable blood pressures via traditional cuff blood pressures, or if you're rapidly titrating or escalating vasopressor therapies. Again, in the algorithm, Once a patient's at fluid refractory shock, we'd consider the initiation of a vasoactive medication. Typically in pediatrics, it's dopamine, and dopamine has its effects through multiple receptors, including dopaminergic, beta, and alpha receptors. Uh, In adults, uh, based on clinical exams, norepinephrine is frequently used as a first-line medication. But again, in pediatrics, dopamine is the first-line vasoactive medication. If a patient has fluid refractory dopamine-resistant shock, we would then select the next vasoactive medication based on their clinical exam. So epinephrine for cold shock when somebody's vasoconstricted, we'd also consider additional volume resuscitation and making sure that the hemoglobin level is above 10. Epinephrine works primarily at low doses on the heart to increase inotropy and chronotropy and at higher doses has alpha effects to provide some vasoconstriction as well. Norepinephrine, you would select for a patient who has uh, warm shock or vasodilatory shock. And again, as opposed to epinephrine, norepinephrine is going to have its peripheral effects through alpha receptors and cause vasoconstriction. Again, the goals of the titration of therapies are to normalize cardiac function and vascular tone. Within that first hour, the goal that you started earlier by sending cultures and ordering antibiotics is to provide those appropriate antibiotics that are gonna cover the common pathogens in pediatric septic shock. If a patient continues to have hemodynamic instability despite appropriate vasoactive medications, you would consider stress dose hydrocortisone. Ideally, you'd like to obtain a cortisol level before the dosing of hydrocortisone to evaluate for relative or absolute adrenal insufficiency. Some conditions that would predispose you to be relative or absolutely adrenally insufficient would be chronic steroid use or pituitary or adrenal dysfunction at a baseline. Continued goals after 60 minutes of therapy include titration of medications and fluids to normalize the cap refill to less than 2 seconds, normalize age-specific heart rate and blood pressure parameters, A mixed venous saturation, so again, a central venous catheter with its tip near the right atrium. A central venous pressure of 8 to 12, and this is borrowed from adult literature, with a goal sat of greater than 70%. And again, a hemoglobin greater than 10 to optimize oxygen delivery. Cardiac index, which is normal, of 3.3 to 6 liters per minute per meter squared. Additional medications that are often considered in advanced septic shock would be milrinone for persistent vasoconstriction. Milrinone is a type 3 phosphodiesterase inhibitor, which has global vasodilation and and some degree of cardiac effects, but primarily it's used to vasodilate a vasoconstricted patient. Another medication on the other side would be vasopressin for a patient who has persistent refractory vasodilation. Patients with catechol-resistant shock are serious risk for hemodynamic collapse, and you want to search for underlying cause. So an echocardiogram would be indicated at this point. Anticipate the need for ECMO. So typically, once a patient's on two or more pressors, we would at least have a discussion of whether or not ECMO was indicated for a patient. This concludes our discussion on pediatric septic shock in the evaluation and treatment.